Um, I want to say, I think this is probably Maya's last time uh, to be here, possibly next week, but most likely this is her last time to be with us, and we thank you, Maya, for using your gifts to play the keyboard and joining the praise team while you were here, and uh, you return to New Jersey soon, but thank you, we've enjoyed having you with us. So, uh, as I said, I thought it, would, it seemed good to have do some red words from the Gospel of John. We've done the other Gospels, and, and I don't know if you picked up on the two words I was thinking about principally. Uh, some of the, the men here from Men's Bible Study will recognize that we studied this passage actually this week in our Men's Bible Study, and I guess I was inspired by it. It's one of my favorite passages. It means a lot to me personally, uh, and I'll share that with you a little bit later. But I want to talk about two of the most beautiful words uh, in all the Bible. They are indeed almost beyond belief. These two words are almost beyond belief. They are amazing. They're fantastic. They're incredible. They're astonishing. They're life-changing words. The most life-changing words uh, I think that's ever been spoken in any language, in any place, in any time. If you're a Christian, you've heard these words. If you're a Christian, you've acted on these words. It's not the words in and of themselves that are so meaningful. It's who says them. <laughs> it's who's saying these words to us. At ICM, you, most of you know, they've been around for a while. We are a God-centered church. We're not a man-centered church. I don't we don't build our preaching and our singing around us. We build our preaching and our singing around, someone guess, oh, God. Um, that's what we do. We do that purposely. We want to look at God. You have plenty of time during the rest of the week to, to uh, look in the mirror and think about yourself. But we want to come here and look at God and worship the Lord. We happily acknowledge that it is not about us. I say this to you all the time. All of this, the cosmos and the whole world and the universe and everything, it's not about you. Um, most of you figured that out already. If you haven't figured that out, uh, it would be good for you to learn that tonight. If you don't learn anything else, it's not about you. It's never been about you. It'll never be about you. It is about one being. His name is Jesus Christ. It is about Him. We happily acknowledge that. We know what the Scripture tells us. For all things have been created by Him and for Him. You guys should know this by heart. I say it all the time. Colossians 1.16 For in Him we live and move and have our being. Acts 17.28 For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. Romans 11.36 So, as we know, there are a lot of Wannabe gods in the world, a lot of sham gods, a lot of pretend gods, a lot of, as my seminary professor used to say, a lot of empty suit gods. Just a lot of talk and a lot of hype. There's no, there's no uh, flesh and bone there. The world is full of yarns and myths and fables and lies about these so-called gods. But our God is God. Somebody's got to say amen. amen. Our God is God. He's the God who effortlessly speaks 400 plus billion galaxies into existence. He says, I love how the, how the Scripture says it in Genesis. And then God created the stars. I like in about eight words, 99.9999% 9 
of everything he ever created, boom! He's God. And nobody else is. Our God is God. And nobody else is God. We know what He says to us through the prophet Isaiah. Just very briefly, God says, Before me, besides me, and after me, there is no God. Isaiah 43. God says, There is none except me, for I am God, and there is no other God. Isaiah 45. God says, I am God, and there is no one like me. Isaiah 46. Our God is God. He's unambiguous. He's God, and nobody else even comes close. I love Psalm 91. I have a great sermon I love to preach. Well, maybe it's not so great to you. It's great to, I love it. It's great to me. It makes me get in the right place before the Lord. Psalm 99.1. It says, The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He's enthroned above the cherubim. Let the earth shake. This is our God. This is why we gather to worship. This is why we give ourselves away to Him. This is why we live our lives in such a way that would bring Him honor and glory. He is the awesome, fearsome, consuming fire, incarnate, crucified, risen, Redeemer God of the Bible. You remember what he said to Moses? Moses said, what's your name? And what did God say? I am that I am. You may remember that Jesus told the Jews, before you were, what? I am. He claimed clearly to be the Creator God of Scripture. So what is God saying to us when He says He's I am? And I'm saying all this because I want you to know who's saying these words to you. These two words, I'll get to them in a minute, but I'm, I'm laying all this groundwork because I want you to know who it is who's speaking to you. He's I Am. He's the God who just is. The God who was and is and is to come. The first and the last. The transcendent, unbegun. The self-existent, uncreated. Don't you love it? The unbegun and the uncreated. He is the limitless, boundless, infinite, invincible, irrepressible. I am God. I just want to share this with you. It's maybe personal to me. It may not resonate with you, but when God says I am, this is part of what I hear. I hear Him saying, I'm all glory. I hear Him saying, I'm all holiness. I'm all righteousness. I'm all excellence. I'm all perfection. I'm all beauty. I'm all splendor. I'm all joy. I'm all exuberance. I'm all passion. I'm all love. I'm all goodness. I'm all genius. I'm all knowledge. I'm all power. I'm all fullness. I'm all life. I'm all God. I am that I am. His people hear it. His people get goosebumps sometimes when they hear it. I'm your God. I want you to understand who's speaking to you tonight. I am. God says, I am all you will ever want, all you will ever need, all you will ever desire. I am who will fill your heart and your soul and your mind and imagination to overflowing for a billion eternities. 
I am the one who will take your breath away forever and ever. David said it, in thy presence is the fullness of joy. In thy right hand there are pleasures forever. So this awesome God, this I am that I am God, this Creator God who effortlessly speaks 400 plus billion galaxies into existence. What does He say to us? He's come to us. He's come to us and what does He say? Anybody pick up? What are the two words you think I'm focusing on? I know you have to guess. I know it's hard. Follow me! This God says to you and He says to me, He doesn't say, you know, hang back and be a church member. That's not what He says. He says, follow me. Can you believe it? God says that to us. You know, it's not some underling. He didn't send some angel to, to handle us. He didn't, you know, relegate us to the, to the angel crowd. He said, he comes to us, he says, you follow me. This is awesome, beloved. If you really believe it, <laughs> you, can't, you can't live like the world. You can't. It's impossible. If you really believe it. If you really believe this is I am, who's saying, follow me. Is it true? Can I really walk with God? Yes, in Christ I can. A sinful man, yes. A fallen man, yes. A man made of dust, yes. I can walk with God because of Christ and who He is and what He's done. The finite can walk with the infinite. Yes, beloved, you've been invited to walk with God. Don't you ever let it be small to you. If it's small to you, you've not met Him yet. If it doesn't impact the way you think, the way you dream, the way you hope, the way you talk, the way you act, you haven't met Him yet. Because if you've met Him, you understand. You, he's God. You're not. It's all about Jesus. You understand if you've truly met Him. Jesus says, follow Me. I've shared this with you a couple times during this little series that we've had on uh, true conversion. Um, and I've shared with you that John 10, 27, if you want me to, to, to boil everything down to one verse, I would, I would choose John 10, 27. Jesus said, My sheep hear My voice. I know them. And what do they do? They follow Me. They follow Me. It's what Jesus was teaching us in 1 John. I'm just going to share a passage with you from 1 John just to, 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 to help us remember. You know, we started in 1 John way back in uh, uh, early February. John writes, By this we know that we've come to know Him if we keep His commandments. The one who says, I've come to know Him and does not keep His commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His Word in Him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in Him. What's he saying? The true Christian, what? Someone tell me, follows. We follow. We follow the Lord. We've met God. And really, our whole universe revolves around Him. Yes, we have peripheral obligations, but we perform those, those even in Him and for His glory. Last couple, three or four weeks, we've seen 
that Jesus has been teaching us from the red words, these awesome red words, and He's been telling us that we're to be sold out, narrow way, fruit-bearing, supreme love disciples. We can ignore the red words. We can ignore what Jesus has said if we want to. But we can't misunderstand it. He is calling us to sell out to Him. He's calling us to sell out to Him. You can't go halfway with Christ. There's no middle ground with Christ. I know that millions on the planet try to play you know, some kind of warm, fuzzy, religious middle place with God. It doesn't work. It, it, it doesn't work that way. Jesus says, follow me. He means it. He means it that we would follow Him. So I'm going to pause and ask you, do you hear Him? And again, I'm using John 10.27. Do you hear Him? Do you know Him? And are you following Him? It seemed good to me that after four months of talking about true conversion and repeatedly saying that discipleship is salvation and salvation is discipleship, after saying that over and over and over, it seemed good to me to look at some guys who actually did it and so I want to ask you, as we look at these five men who actually followed Christ, I want, you to, I want you to tell me when I get done how they did it. I'm going to ask you, how did they do it? Okay? So that's your job. Okay, I grade on a, I grade on a curve, so it's not a lot of pressure. But that's your job. I'm going to ask you when I get done. How did these men do it? How did they do it? The two most important words, maybe the two most important red words in all the Bible, Jesus says, follow me. And He means it, beloved. He means it. Jesus invites five men to come to Him tonight. John, Andrew, Peter, Philip, Nathaniel. And they all did. They all went with God I'm going to look again here at John 1, verse 35. John 1, verse 35. This is John the Baptist. Verse 35, he's standing with uh, Andrew and John, two of his disciples. And he looked and he saw Jesus, verse 36. And behold, he says, Behold the Lamb of God. And Andrew and John heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and beheld them following and said to them, What do you seek? And he said to them, Rabbi, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. They came therefore and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. John calls Jesus the Lamb of God. This is a term that would resonate. A term that would resonate with every Jew. Why? Obviously, they're very familiar with the Passover Lamb. They understand the imagery here. Verse 37. John says, He's the one. <laughs> Verse 37. They go. Don't you love it? <laughs> There's no debating. There's no discussion. There's no research. There's no wringing of the hands. There's no taking care of personal matters. They go. I love this. They go. They follow Jesus. So, 
it's probably too early to ask, but do you see the secret of discipleship yet? Do you see it yet? Do you see how they were able to simply drop everything and go with Christ? Maybe too hard to see just yet. But put yourself in their, in their sandals. What do you think it was like? You know, you should always do this when you study the Bible. You should always put yourself in the guy's sandals, you know, or the gal's sandals. You just need to do that. I mean, what do you think, what do you think it was like to... I mean, John said there's the Lamb of God. And these guys are following Him, and I envision that they're following Him from a distance. I'm sure they're just, you know, kind of like scared semi to death. They don't know what to say. They're nervous. How do you start a conversation with I Am? How do you start a conversation with God incarnate? And I see these men. I, I think they're, they're hanging back a little bit. And I think they're, they're nervous, and they don't know exactly how to approach Him. But look at verse... 38, Jesus turns. Isn't that a beautiful thing? <laughs> Jesus turns. God turns and He says, what do you seek? You know, this is the question He asks every man, woman, boy, and girl. What do you seek? What do you seek? This is what God does. God starts the conversation. Don't you love it? <laughs> I know. If it had been left up to me to start the conversation, I would not be having a conversation with God. The only reason I have a conversation with God is because He came after me. If we understand our Bibles, we understand that. Adam and Eve didn't come after, after God. Abraham didn't come after God. Paul didn't come after God. God came after them. And if we understand our Bibles, we understand this reality. These two guys are sheepishly following Jesus. And he turns and he says, What do you seek? If you seek the things of the world, you might as well not go with me. But if you're seeking a relationship with God, come on. I mean, if you love the world, forget about it. Just, yeah. You can't go with me. I love that promise, Jeremiah 29.13. I know that many of you know it. It's one of my favorite promises in all of Scripture. God says, you will seek Me and find Me. When? When you search for Me. What? With all your heart. How many of you have done this? How many of you have searched for God with all your heart? Now wait a minute. Last week I told you from Scripture that no man seeks God. Right? We, we looked at this last week from uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 11. There are none who seeks for God. The Bible commands man over and over and over to seek God, but the Bible tells us that men do not seek God. So how do we reconcile this? How do we understand this? Actually, the Bible tells us that God is the seeker. You know, this is the God who owns everything, who has everything, who's filled up with all glory and beauty and genius and power. He, he, he needs nothing. He's self-contained. There's only one thing that the Bible tells us God seeks. Does anybody know what it is? I've already told you. Us. He doesn't need us, but He seeks us. 
<laughs> right? He doesn't need us, but He seeks us. He seeks sinners that they might become worshipers. This is what the Lord seeks. So, I have a, an interesting way of saying this, and this is going to be hard for you to follow, but this is how we understand the Bible. It's kind of a little humor here, I think. How does it work? Man seeking, but not seeking. God seeking. The seeking God commands His non-seeking people to seek Him. And when His non-people, non-seeking people finally begin to seek Him, they discover that He was seeking them all along. Amen? Amen. We do not find God. We are found by God. The Bible is true. No man seeks for God. But God seeks a people for Himself. And the seeking God seeks His seeking people to give them what He originally designed them to seek. What's that? Oh, Himself! And He gives Himself away. He gives Himself away to His people. Jesus responds. There's a beautiful picture here for us to see. Jesus responds to every honest heart. Every God-sought seeker, Jesus turns and says, what is it that you desire? What is it that you desire? Every honest heart that wants to know why they were, why they were created and what this life is really all about. Every honest heart that, wants, that is tired of their sin and is bored with the emptiness that comes with it. Every honest heart that wants to dispense with all the guilt and to receive cleansing and forgiveness. Every honest heart that wants the life, peace, joy, and purpose of walking with their Creator. Verse 38, Jesus says, What do you seek? And it wasn't for Jesus' benefit. You know, God never asks us a question for His benefit. <laughs> it's it's for, for our benefit. Jesus always makes us quantify and articulate our desires if we really, seek, if we really are seeking Him. We must speak it. We must live it. How, do the, how does John and Andrew answer the question? He says, what do you seek? And what do they say? You think this is what was on their mind when they went out after Jesus? What do they say? What? <laughs> That's the best you got? I mean, sometimes I see humor in, in the Scripture. What? Uh, it's, like, it's like Jesus, it's like God turns to them and says, you know, what do you seek? And it's like, uh, uh, where are you staying? And of course, Jesus says, come and see. This is what God always says. Listen, beloved, I've said it to you a million times. You get as much of God as you want. If you don't want any of God, you won't get any of God. But if you want Him more than anything else in the world, you will have Him all. And it will take forever. It will take a billion eternities for God to give Himself to you. Because He is infinite and we are but finite. So it will take, it will take forever he says, what do you seek? And it's like they almost can't bring themselves to say it. They can't say it. 
They can't say it. We want everything. Everything we've ever wanted, ever desired, ever dreamt of. We want it. And only God can do that. Only God can answer those prayers. Only God can provide that. I think if they'd been honest, they would have said everything. We want everything. We want to know You. We want to walk with You. We want to honor You. We want to love You. We want to bring glory to You. And we want to live with You uh, on the new heaven and the new earth forever and ever and ever and ever. At the right hand of God, there are pleasures forever. That's what we want. (laughs) You know, God loves it when His people talk like that. (laughs) When When His people really want Him. You know, Christianity ultimately is about desire. It's not about... I ought or should. Yes, we ought and we should. But it's not really about that. It's about I love this awesome God and I want Him. So how would you answer the question tonight? What is it that you seek? What is it that you seek? Jesus' answer for John and Andrew and for you and for me is in verse 39. He says, Come, And see, this is what He always says. This is what God always says. He says, come. You know, if you approach the Lord, He's always going to say, there's one thing you can count on. He's going to say, come. Come. Put down your junk and come. (laughs) Quit playing religion and come. (laughs) Come. Really. Come. This is what Jesus always says to His people. Come and see who I am. Come and learn who you are. This makes, uh, this makes me very excited. <laughs> One, to learn who God is. And two, in Christ, to learn who I am. You know, most of mankind, they don't know who they are. They don't know why they're here. They don't know what they're supposed to be doing. It's all a big fog. The born-again Christian gets it. I'm here because God is awesome. And I've been redeemed to be in relationship with this awesome God. And in this awesome God, I find out who He made me to be. I never knew before. We discover who we are in Christ. I, I know why there are not 10,000 people trying to press in here and hear the Gospel. I get it. Because there are none who seek for God. Right? But beloved, this is awesome. This is awesome. Jesus says, come and see who I am. Come and find out who you are. Implied, I think, there. And look what he says here. This is some more humor to me anyway. It's the 10th hour, verse 39. It's the 10th hour. Who cares? Someone tell me who cares it's the 10th hour. I don't care. It's not going to change my life. It doesn't help me in my quiet time. Who cares? John cares. John remembers the day he met Jesus. John is writing this 60 years after it happened, and he's remembering. He knows the hour. He knows the day. He knows where he was standing on the road. He knows the look on Jesus' face. He knows the look on Andrew's face. He remembers the feeling in his heart. Who cares it's the 10th hour? John cares. John cares a lot. And those of you who are born again, you understand. I'm not saying you have to know the exact moment or exact time. There's some mystery here. 
But you care. <laughs> you care. You care a lot. Just like John. What happened at the 10th hour? Everything happened for John. Everything. Everything happened. Everything that would ever matter happened at the 10th hour. Verses 41 and 42. Andrew found first his brother, Simon, said to him, we have found the Messiah. Verse 42, and he brought Peter to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. Now, we know Peter. He gets all the press. His brother Andrew, he's only mentioned three times in the Bible. Only three times. Does anybody know what Andrew's always doing when he's uh, seen in the Bible? Only three times. But he's always doing the same thing. Anybody know? That's what he's doing right here. He's bringing someone to Christ. <laughs> what a great way to live, right? What a great epitaph. What a great epitaph. I don't know much about Andrew, but what I know is he's always bringing people to Christ. That's all I know about him. That's enough. I don't need to know anything else. <laughs> That's all I need to know. You know, it's an awesome thing. That's a great epitaph for him, I think. So Andrew brings Peter to Christ. We know Peter's an erratic, somewhat impulsive, somewhat unreliable kind of guy. And Jesus says, that's who you were, but I'm going to turn you into a rock, brother. You're going to be a rock. That's what it means. That's what Cephas means in Aramaic. Peter in the Greek, Jesus looks at him and says, you shall be a rock. By sovereign authority, I change your name. And it's symbolic of what I'll do in your life. I'm going to change you. And you're going to be a, a mighty man of God. And we know what happens with Peter, right? The, the guy that, 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 that denied the Lord three times because some little girl asked him about Jesus around the bonfire the night Jesus was arrested, you remember? And he denied him three times. It's the same guy who preached uh, this fearless sermon to the Jews and 3,000 people were saved that day. Beloved, this is what God does. He turns us into warriors. Spiritual warriors. <laughs> you know, this is what He does. He changes us. He changes us. I love it. He changes us. It's like the guy with the withered hand in Mark chapter 3. Remember, his hand was withered. Jesus said, stretch it out. This guy, he can't stretch out his hand. Can he? He can't do it. He's, he's an old guy. His hand's been withered his whole life. He can't do it. There's no way. Jesus said, stretch it out. Guess what happens when he started to stretch it out? It started to stretch out. This is what happens in the Christian's life. That which was heretofore withered in you, God makes whole. God makes whole. Stretch it out, beloved. I can remember before I went to seminary, I told Karen, I don't think I could ever do it. I don't think I could ever be a preacher. I don't think I could ever be a pastor. And she'll tell you, what my, one of my favorite pictures, in all, uh, one of the favorite pieces of imagery in all the New Testament is that imagery of the man with the withered hand stretching it out. That's all you got to do, beloved. Stretch out your hand. God will make you whole. It's what we see in the Bible. Those who surrender their lives... 
to the Lord. We see barren women turned into mothers. We see harlots made into heroes. We see whining farmers turned into valiant warriors. And we see young boys turning into giant slayers. This is what God does in the lives of His people. Beloved, you have to go with God to find out who you're supposed to be. If you don't go with God, you'll never know who you were created to be. You'll be lost in the fog. You have to go with God to find out who you're supposed to be. Verse 43, Jesus says those two words, there they are, the red words. I don't know if your Bible has red or not. In my, when I say that, what I mean is all the Jesus' words in my Bible are red. That's why I call them the red words. Jesus says, follow me. Jesus says, follow me. And Philip does. As does Peter. So do you know the secret yet to discipleship? Do you see why these guys are dropping everything and going with Jesus? A few more, a few more verses here. What does Philip do in verse 45? Someone tell me. What does he do? He goes and he finds who? Nathaniel. And Philip says, oh, we're already seeing a pattern here, right? This is our job. This is our job description. We're to share Christ with everybody we know. And even people we don't know. Philip says, we found him. Nathaniel says, what? We found the one who Moses talked about. We found the one that the prophets talked about. It's Jesus of Nazareth. He's the son of Joseph. And, Nazareth, and Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of there? <laughs> right? Can anything good come out of there? What a terrible thing to say. What a terrible thing to say. Nathaniel says, can any good thing come from there? What does Philip say to him? <laughs> Come and see. Come and see this awesome God-man. Verse 47 to 48, Nathaniel and Jesus meet. Jesus says, Behold, an Israelite indeed whom is no guile. You know what guile is, right? Just fraud or deceit. And Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? Someone tell me how Jesus knows Nathaniel. Someone tell me. He made him. He made him. In eternity past, he thought Nathaniel up. He thought him up. And he designed him. And he built him. Oh, what does the Bible say? He weaved him. Jesus weaved him in his mother's womb. Nathaniel says, how do you know me? I'm your creator. That's how. He knows everything about Nathaniel. He knows Nathaniel better than Nathaniel knows Nathaniel. He knows the number of hairs on Nathaniel's head. How do you know me? I'm your creator. I saw you under the fig tree. Now, Nathaniel knows. Nathaniel knows nobody. Nobody's ever seen him under the fig tree. That's his place. That's where he goes. That's where he hides. That's where he prays. That's where he's quiet. Nobody knows about that place. Jesus knows about it. 
And you gotta love, you gotta love this. I mean, Nathaniel immediately sees that this is God in Christ. He sees it and he says, he says, verse 49, he says, Surely you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. And Jesus says, Jesus said, Oh, you're jazzed about that? You haven't seen anything, brother. You haven't seen anything yet. But Nathaniel knows. He knows. He recognizes. He viscerally and intuitively knows that this is, this is God. John became a disciple. Andrew became a disciple. Peter became a disciple. Philip became a disciple. Nathaniel became a disciple. Do you see the secret? What's the secret? Someone tell me. Part? Huh? Not how. Well, that's, that's a good, yeah. They came immediately. That's a good answer. Okay, I give you, I give you credit. I'm an easy grader. But how do they do it? They did it immediately. But how were they able to do it? They believed. Just write it down. They believed. This is what real believers do. Real believers believe. And they go with Jesus. You thought it was going to be hard, didn't you? They believe. They believe. And they give themselves away. They believe. And they give themselves away. They believe that this is I Am speaking. They believe that He's the God of Isaiah 43 and Isaiah 45 and Isaiah 46 and Psalm 99. They believe it, that He is the I Am, that I Am God. They believe it. How could they not go with Him? Amen? Shame on us if we hesitate for a minute. How could we not go with this great God? This great Creator, Redeemer, God, how could we not if we really believe? As a friend of mine says, you know, you're either all in or you're not. That's how, Jesus, that's how Christianity is. You're either all in or you're not in at all. These guys, they believed. They obeyed. That's it. You just do it. You just do it. <laughs> that's Christianity. You just do it. I know discipleship looks... Risky, it looks hard, it looks impossible, it looks crazy. But I, I can tell you, from my own limited experience, it's the most fun you'll ever have. <laughs> when you just simply give yourself away. Just release your life into His hands. It'll be the most fun that you ever have. What does it mean to follow? And I'm finished. What does it mean? The dictionary says, to follow means to go after. So I'm going to ask you, are you doing these things with respect to Christ? Are you going after Him? Are you pursuing Him? Are you obeying Him? Are you chasing Him? Are you trailing Him? Are you complying with Him? Are you conforming to Him? Are, are you keeping your attention upon Him? That's what it means to follow. So I'm going to ask you, are you following the Lord? Fifteen years ago, I was sitting at a fountain. Um, almost fifteen years to the, within a couple of months. I was sitting at a fountain in Kansas City. I was on my initial visit uh, for seminary, I was trying to determine, is this where I'm going to go? Am I going to go? And I was sitting at this fountain, and I was in John 1. 
I have it written in the margin of my Bible right here. 8497. Seminary. And God said, follow. He said, follow me. He said, come and see. Come and see how awesome I am. Come and find out who you are. And I've got to give personal testimony, beloved. I've never had so much fun in my life to go with God. And I know we don't all have the same call. That's not what I'm saying, but you have a call. You have a call. Do you believe He's got enough to follow? It's the most important question you'll probably ever be asked. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is God enough to follow? It's probably the most important answer you'll ever give. I'll close with C.S. Lewis. He says, If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to get wet, you must jump in the water. <laughs> it's pretty simple, isn't it? <laughs> If you want joy and power and peace and limitless life, you must get close to the One who possesses them. They are a great fountain of energy and beauty spurting up at the very center of Jesus Christ. If you are close to Him, the spray will wet you. If you are not, you will remain dry. And here's what I want you to hear. Once a man follows God, how could he not live forever? Once a man refuses to follow God, what can he do but wither and die? God says these two awesome words to you and to I and to me. He says, follow me. Follow me. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank You for this text. I thank You how You have changed my life with it. I thank You how You have spoken to me in it. I thank you that it's true. It's always true. Not only do we find inexpressible and unfathomable joy and life and pleasure in you, we find ourselves. We find out who you designed us to be. We find out what we're supposed to do. We find out why we're here. All of these wonderful things that you teach us. And we discover we wouldn't want to be anyone else in the whole world. We want to be who you've made us to be. What you've designed us to do. So Lord, I pray that we would hear you tonight. That each one of us in this room would follow. That we would consciously decide, even before we leave this room, that we would follow You. Whatever that means, whatever it looks like. However risky it is, however impossible it is, how unconventional it is, that we would follow You. We confess it's not about us. We confess happily that it is all about Jesus Christ. So Lord, we offer ourselves to You tonight. Holy and fully and completely. We abandon ourselves to You tonight, Lord. Use us up, we pray. Use us up for the glory of Jesus Christ. It's in His name that I pray. Amen.